Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Uh, it's great to have you here. It's great to have a lot of guests here for the baptism. Um, an exciting day for us, and this is going to be short. I actually called it a devotional today rather than actually a, uh, a message. So I have a little short devotional for you this morning. Uh, and I thought since the kids, students are going to be with a second service, I thought I'd start off with a little quiz for you. So let's, uh, let's start with this one. How many times is the word Christian found in the New Testament? A, zero, three, B, three, C, 269, or D, 1,356? Anybody have an idea? It's actually B, three. So, you know, our connotation that we use the word Christian a lot really is only used three times in the New Testament. How about this one? How many times is the word disciple found in the New Testament? A, zero, B, three, C, 269, or D, 1,356? C, it's actually 269 times that we see the word disciple. Isn't that interesting? When we talk about Christianity and calling ourselves Christians in the early church, and in the New Testament, they talk, called themselves disciples. So how about this question? Who did Jesus spend the most time with? A, the multitudes. B, the religious leaders. C, or E, we could jump to E. I don't know why that is. <laughs> e, the 12 disciples. I don't know what C or D is. Um, e is the 12 disciples, or F, the three, Peter, James, or John. Anybody have an idea? It, it, it's kind of, um, you think about it as E because the 12 disciples, when you think of Peter, James, and John, they were included in all four of those sections. But Jesus took them aside and actually spent dedicated time with them. Next one. What is the correct translation of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen? Go therefore and make church members of all nations. Go therefore and get people saved of all nations. C, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Or D, go therefore and have really good potluck dinners for the nations. It's C. Because many of you are familiar with this text. Oops. Um, if you look up Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we all know that is the Great Commission. It says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. So it's important from a standpoint that the commission, as we hear it, the Great Commission is actually, you know, to go and make disciples. Last question. A disciple of Jesus is someone who continuously grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. B, someone who applies that growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heaven to every aspect of their life on earth. Does that sound familiar? Kind of the eternal living now. C, someone who is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner. D, Someone who makes other disciples, or E, all of the above. What's the answer? All of the above. When you look biblically at what a disciple is, and we've been talking about that a lot um, in our series here with Crystal, take, being, taking that clear understanding of a church, I want us to look at these next two weeks at the early church in the book of Acts. And after Jesus gives them this great commission to make disciples— how did they do that? 
because it started with 11 guys and exploded to what we have as Christianity today. And this theme of making disciples has been something that our leadership, our elders here at Hillside, wanted our church to focus on, especially as we came into this new year in January. And they actually kind of, I think I've had every title in this church since I've been here for 22 years. But um, they changed my title to be the pastor of discipleship and leadership development. I didn't know really what that was. But we've been praying and thinking through these, what that looks like and to make disciples in the local church. And at Hillside, I'm finding out it's not an easy thing to look at or to do. I'm reading a book right now called The Great Omission by Dallas Willard. And he would suggest as a global church, especially in our Western world, we have what we call a great omission in doing the Great Commission by not putting our emphasis on having churches that are made up of people that are disciples, that are making disciples. So you maybe remember at the beginning of 2017, we created these next steps that kind of give you a framework to be a disciple that makes disciples. So we have them in our Connect area. Actually, if you open up your bulletin, they're in there. So we have these next steps, and we've now kind of framed them up to look at them and actually ask the question, what step are you on? And it's not to become um, regimented or, uh, and, and, and so forth, but it's many times we don't take, take these steps in order in becoming a disciple that makes disciples. So for instance, I'll use um, Ray's and R. Ray, raise your hand. Ray, he didn't wear his, Ray's one of those guys, he's the Eagles fan, can you believe that? And he was so happy a couple weeks ago when Pete said, we, we, in here, we welcome Eagle fans. Once Ray gets out in the street, hey, it's a whole different story of what happens. But here in the church, we welcome him. Well, Ray is part of our, he teaches our Go Discover class. And as we think about these uh, legacy nights and the visions, and it's just so cool to hear Ray's story. And if you haven't gone to Go Discover, you need to hear it. Because he tells his story about, you know, taking these steps, but he took those steps as a, as a, as a seeker as kind of in step three at the beginning, because Ray, Ray and Lori lived in Flower Mound where Joe and I was living, and um, <clears throat> Ray had a business of delivering disposable diapers, and so we were going through diapers like anything at that time of our life, and so we just have a relationship with Ray. He's from South Jersey. My wife immediately had a connection, and so he began to deliver, you know, um, deliver diapers to our door. And one time Jill's running out the door and she said, I'm going to band practice. And Ray said, oh, cool. You're in a band. That's awesome. And he said, it's at my church. He said, you have a band at church? And and Ray's denominational background is a little different in that, wow, that's pretty cool. So eventually, you know, we were here meeting in schools in Keller. We got Ray to show up one week and Pete's doing a series on sex. So Ray, coming from a very formal background, walks into this school and he sees a bed up on the stage. And Ray's like, dude, what is going on here? And he stays there, and it was the first part of the series, and it was a two-part series. So Ray wanted to definitely come back for the second part, too. You know, he was very interested. But it's cool to see Ray's um, time, and he actually joined our, our small group, and he began to investigate who Jesus really is and got into our community. But I'll never forget, six months into his investigation. I'll never forget sitting in the back. I can still see him. And seeing sitting in that elementary school, and Pete gives an invitation, and Ray raises his hand, saying, I want to give my life to Christ today. 
And immediately, Ray's whole world changed in that all of a sudden, he said, what Bible do I read? Where do I, where do I start learning about Christ? Hey, I'm reading this, something in here about baptism. What is that? I got to do that. According to here, that's my next step. And then he started listening to sermons. He was peppering Pete and I with just questions every day. Hey, I heard this sermon. What do you think of that? He wanted us to come over and bless his house. And I was like, oh, okay. Was that biblical or not? I'm just like... So, but there was an amazing, and then he began to serve. When we were in the schools, we had this theme called C-Ray. Because if you had something about where, what was going on at Hillside, C-Ray. And there, and you still see that fire in him to, uh, he has a gift of evangelism. But you can see when he took that first step of salvation, it just propelled him into the other steps. And so when you think about that and look at that, um, so many times, like Ray, you can take a step of community, but when he wanted to become a disciple that makes disciples, he took step one and understood that grace and mercy that he received. It kind of just shot through him to get into the other steps. But that propelling can only happen when you start with step one of salvation. And you have that because there's a supernatural indwelling of the Holy Spirit that comes into your life. You read that in Acts 2. When we see Acts 2 and, and Peter and the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church. And in that upper room and the people in Jerusalem and all, because they hear the tongue, their tongues being, able, being um, talked and preached. And then Peter gets up and gives that first gospel message. And when those G Jews hear it, they look. If you look in Acts 2, 37 through 41, it says there were 3,000 souls that repented and they were immediately what? What was their next step, if you know that passage? What was their next step when they heard and they repented and, and accepted Christ? What was their next step? They got baptized. Right there. And you talk about a step of a Jewish person going and get baptized. It was a major because they were going to be ostracized by their family from their Jewish culture, their Jewish religious system. But again, they understood their next step of obedience was to get baptized. And you see that, and I'm not going to go into that, but if you read Acts 8 in the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, Philip's sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he understands he needs to give his life to Christ. He gives his life to Christ, and you'll look in that passage, and he says, hey, look, there's water there. What would prevent me from being baptized? And if you look at that text, it's, it's interesting to see that Philip makes a profession that he acknowledges Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he gets baptized immediately. So we come together today to celebrate people taking their next step of baptism. So it is important to understand what baptism is. First, it is a public acknowledgement that Jesus is my Savior and that I've made, him, made Jesus Lord. So it's saying that I believe that God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to the world to save me from my sins. And I put my faith and trust alone in his sacrifice on the cross for me as payment for my sin and believe that his resurrection showed his power over death, gives me power of, over death, and gives me new life. So we're really happy with number one, that we can say Jesus is my Savior. But we also are coming to a point when you get baptized that you're saying, I'm not just getting the saving part, I'm making him my Lord. That's why in many times when I meet with people, I go over Romans 10.9 with them when we talk about baptisms, because it says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. So that's what baptism is. When you confess with your mouth that I'm making him Lord of my life, that, that I'm um, confessing that I'm going to put him first in my life, and then I am also uh, believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The next thing about baptism, it is an identification that you're on the Jesus team. I like to use a lot of sports analogies here. That I'm making a spa- statement that I'm putting on a new jersey. It's like somebody being an Eagles fan or playing for the Eagles, and they move and play for the Cowboys. Not that that's going dark to light. I'm just saying. But it's like you're saying, hey, I'm putting on a new jersey. That's why today, you know, we, we have people. Don't get, don't get real upset here. But we have, we have people today that are getting ba- baptized that are actually getting these shirts. Because they're actually taking off the old self and they're publicly making an acknowledgement that I'm going to walk in newness of life. So it's, that, it's a statement through baptism that says, hey, I'm on a new team now. I got a new coach that's given me new plays and I'm going to follow that coach's direction. The second thing is it's an identification with, as Pete talked, in the body of Christ saying that, hey, I'm accountable, I'm encouraged by this body, and that's why we do it here. And lastly, it's a walking in newness of life. Just as Romans 6, 4, um, if you look at that verse, it paints a picture of sin being buried. That's why we love immersion, sin being buried, and we're raised with the power of his resurrection. So it comes to our big question this morning, is if you have taken step one, for you today and, and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, why haven't you taken step two to be baptized? I would suggest there's probably three reasons. One is there's a lack of understanding that baptism ought to be something that follows me giving my life to Christ, because that's my story. I grew up in a denomination where I was baptized as an infant, but I gave my life to Christ when I was eight, year old, eight years old. But when I get into college and, and I got to read the scriptures and read especially the book of Acts, kind of looked like, hey, every time somebody got baptized, it was after they gave their life to Christ. So as a, as a college student, I said, hey, I need to go be obedient. That's that next point, is be obedient to the scriptures and get baptized to really make a public profession of my faith. So a lot of times it's just a lack of understanding, lack of obedience, or it's fear. You know, we're afraid to get up in front of people. We're fearful of uh, maybe it's the water. Maybe it's something. Um, maybe it's like, um, you know, I don't think we're going to have time to show this video um, because of the time. But there's, you know, things that happen in baptisms that are really kind of crazy that can happen. But there's also, you know, just a fear of what might happen. Let me show you a clip or do I have that, guys, show the clip of. But look at this clip or this what I found on the internet. These um, bat- people that just gave their lives in Papua New Guinea, saints that were baptized, they're getting baptized in crocodile infested waters. You know, and you guys get it so nice. That pool's heated. You know what I mean? We used to do baptisms outside. What we were talking about at one baptism we did where the water got so low, it was draining out and the water was freezing. We baptized people head first. We just said, all right, you're wet enough. So we have all these things that get, fears come of it, and it's, and it's really Satan that tries to keep you from taking that step of obedience. So here's my challenge to you. As we get ready to baptize, if you have taken step one and acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why haven't you taken that next step and be baptized, been baptized? 
Well, we're going to kind of do that differently today and give you an opportunity. If you've never taken that next step of baptism, you can come forward today and we're going to have some leaders down here when we sing this song and we've got shirts. Not that that should be an incentive for you to get baptized today. We have shirts and we have shorts and we have towels backstage that we can get you ready and you can get, take that step today and be in obedience and then just keep rolling and watch the Spirit of God just take you through and make a difference with your life for the kingdom. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.